Happy Mother's Day. I heard some deep voices saying thank you. Maybe you're one who helped make a mother a mother. Yes, happy Mother's Day. I have a question for all you moms. How many of you want your children to be successful? Well, some of you aren't raising your hand. You know probably why? Because success is a weird word. It has different meanings. So let me clarify it. The basic meaning of successful is to glorify God. So how many of you want your children to be successful? Yes, we want our children to be successful in that way. Well, this morning, we're going to look and see how that has done. But before we do, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, which teaches us of how to live life, which teaches us truth in this world so full of darkness, confusion, and lies. Help us to know the truth. And Lord, help us to see things as you see it, so often it is paradoxical. It doesn't make sense to our rationale, but in the light of eternity and in your wisdom, it is absolutely true. So help us to understand. We pray today in your name. Amen. Well, success is an exciting thing, right? What is success? That's a big question. Well, this morning we're going to learn about a mother who wanted her children to be successful. Any of you guys have any ideas of some moms in the Bible who wanted their children to be successful and made it known? Brother Yusuf? Oh, first guess is right where we want to go. James and John's mother. We don't know her name, but we know her two sons' names, James and John, and we know her husband's name, Zebudee. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Jesus and his disciples are on their way from Galilee up in the north toward Jerusalem. And this is the last journey that Jesus will make from Galilee to Jerusalem and he tells his disciples he's going to Jerusalem to die. Remember back on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, we looked at these passages. The disciples didn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. Why, they considered Jesus to be the Messiah, the promised one, the king, and yet he says he's going to be mocked and to be scourged and to be spit upon and to be killed. They didn't believe it, and they didn't want to ask questions because they didn't want to know the truth, because they were expecting greatness. They had a view of success that was a kingdom, and here now, Jesus is talking about being spit on and being scourged and, and, and being mocked and being killed. Now, I got a question for you. If you go to the bookstore and you look in the success section, will you find a book that says, How to Be Successful? And then the subtitle says, Get Spit On, Mocked, Scourged, and Killed. Think the book would sell? No, it wouldn't sell. It wouldn't sell at all. That's not success. 
Or is it? Well, there's a sense in which if you're suffering as an evildoer, yeah, that's definitely not success. But did you know that even the most successful person, and may I say Jesus Christ was the most successful person ever to live, who is still living, in his success, this is what he experienced. Mocking, scourging, spit upon, and killed. In his success, that's what he experienced. So his disciples hear him saying he's going to go to Jerusalem. That's what's right here in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34. Jesus says to them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, speaking of himself, shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. Ah, and the third day he shall rise again. I kind of left that part out, didn't I? Maybe the book would sell better if it had that in the subheading. Well, the truth is, even in our experiences of success, that if we don't have the life of Jesus, which is everlasting life, and a guarantee of a resurrection, then we can gain the whole world in worldly success and profit nothing. So we need the success of Jesus as the resurrection and the life. But let's just bounce back in here into the historical narrative here in Mark chapter 10. These disciples are on their way to Jerusalem, and they just cannot fathom that Jesus is going to die. They're looking forward to Jesus being crowned king, deliverer, Hosanna, save, save, save us from the Romans, from all their troubles, success, success. Their view is on success, and in their view of success, it doesn't have mocking and scourging and spitting and dying. It has reigning. It has power. It has greatness. And so on this journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem, James and John begin to talk among themselves about who is going to be the greatest. That's another way of saying successful. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And you know what? Dear mom, moms want their kids to be successful. Now moms, we, moms have to be careful because sometimes in their view of success, it's just like Zebedee's wife, James and John's mom, the success is skewed out of proportion. You know, if you were to out, go out on the streets and just walk around and talk to people and ask them, or maybe even just here this morning, some of you would be a little hesitant maybe in saying how you want your kids to be successful because that word has varied meanings, right? But you might think, oh, well, I want my, I want my, my son or daughter to be successful and have lots of money and never have to worry about things. Is that success? Well, in some ways, yes, but not complete. I want them to be CEO or, or head of a large company or president of the United States. Is that success? Well, actually, it is quite successful. Almost every university in the country wants to give the president of the United States an honorary doctorate because he's so successful. There is some success in that. But what is true success? Now, don't want to offend anybody, but it's not common 
for moms or dads or even young people in pursuing careers to say, I want to be the trash man. Now, nothing against trash men. By the way, trash men, wait up. There's something coming later on that you guys are going to love. But typically in our society, we don't strive to be the trash man or the janitor. We think of those as the more entry level, lower level, but not necessarily real successful. Again, be, be, don't get offended if you're, if you're one of those people, because we're going to learn some things about those people here in just a little bit. But think about it. We have this idea of success and career is great and large. Well, so did here James and John, sitting one at the right hand of the king of kings and the other at the left hand of the king of kings. <laughs> That's where I want to be. That's success. And their mom was right along with them. We know that their mom was involved back in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 gives us the parallel history. Mark doesn't mention anything about mom. But Matthew records that mom was part of this conversation. In fact, Matthew records this as if the whole conversation was with mom, which is really interesting, which kind of tells me that there were multiple conversations if we take into consideration and honor both as inspired, accurate records, that means that James and John were talking to Jesus, and so was their mom. I wonder who came first. I don't know. It might be interesting. But we find that the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons came to Jesus worshiping him. Well, that's good. And desiring a certain thing of him. And Jesus asked her and asks the sons, what would you that I should do for you? Look with me, Mark 10, 37. And they said unto him, grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. Now here they're looking at Jesus as the king of kings. And by the way, this happens just after Jesus tells them he's on his way to Jerusalem to be spit upon, mocked, scourged, and killed, and rise again. They totally missed the and rise again, by the way. Actually, they totally missed it all because they were so focused on success, greatness, to sit on the right hand of the king of kings and on the left hand of the king of kings. No one, brothers, they probably argued about which was going to sit on the right and which was going to sit on the left. And they were probably bringing it to Jesus to try to figure that part out, just assuming they were there. I don't know. But Jesus asked them some questions. Verse 38, But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Can you have the same experiences that I have? And they answer this question. We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized wherewith shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. Jesus has just told them what he's going to experience in Jerusalem. And he asks them, can you drink of the same cup or of the same baptism? Do you have the same experiences as I can? They say, we can. And Jesus says, and so you will. That's a little hint. That's a little hint. 
But then he cites to them, it says the focus is not there for you to be on who's going to be on my right hand and who's going to be on my left. And you know what? As is so common, this happens with these two disciples and their mom. And all the other disciples watch it. And you know what? They hear Jesus say this and says that they were filled with indignation. <clears throat> Who do you boys think you are? Thinking that you could come to Jesus and just ask for the two greatest positions? Like, how dare you? How come we didn't think of that? That's kind of what's implied. It doesn't say that. I know I'm adding to the text. But it's kind of what's going on. Why are they indignant at them? Are they any more spiritual than James and John? I don't think so. Do they have any better perspective of success than James or John? I don't think so. But they, and that's part of the reason why they get, they become indignant against them. That's the word used in Matthew here. It's displeased. They're not pleased with James and John. How, how could you be so stuck on yourself? So proud to think you can be on the right hand, on the left hand of the king of kings. Well, Jesus knows this. And so Jesus is about to give to his disciples and to two of their mom. And can I tell you something? He's about to lay down the pattern of success for every mom to teach their children. A pattern of success for every mom to teach their children. A pattern of success for every child to pursue. When you think of success, think of this lesson that Jesus is about to give to his disciples. He is about to give a lesson on what true success is. How to be the greatest. So you know what? I tell you this morning, be successful. Be great. How do you be successful? How do you be great? It's all summed up in one word. Serve. Serve. Let's read Jesus' teaching. Verse 42, Mark 10, 42. But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. He's basically explaining to them that the way of this world to demonstrate and to show power and greatness and success is by lording over others, by taking authority over others. And if you think about it, hmm, American society sounds very similar. Did you think about some of the perspectives of success examples I gave in modern 21st century America? The CEO, the president. Why do we perceive these as success? Why? Because that's been the human definition of success for a long time. It was true right here, and Jesus demonstrates it to them. That's one reason why it's funny in America here, we don't have lords and ladies. 
<laughs> we don't ought not to. There's partly a rejection of it, but there's this lordship, this exerting of authority and power over others, and we think of this as success. But is it really success? Look at verse 43. But so shall it not be among you. He says, you look around at the Gentiles, and this is the way they all do it. This is the way everybody does it. And, and by the way, you could go even to the most primitive, quote-unquote, cultures, and you will still find this. It seems to impact humanity in every culture and in every society. But it ought not to among the followers and disciples of Jesus. For he says that among you, so shall it not be. So shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever you of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And that's the end of the conversation. I, I have a question for Mark and for Matthew, and actually for the Holy Spirit, because he's the one who inspired it. I'd like to know the after conversation. What was the after conversation? When James and John and Mom sat down for supper that night on the, on the road, what did they talk about? There's no record. What difference did it make in their lives, this conversation? What difference does it make in our lives? What is our after-conversation? We read this. Perhaps you've read this and heard this before. I hope you have. How have you talked about it in your family and in your life as you talk about success? How can we live what Jesus just said? Do you want to be the chiefest? There's nothing wrong with being the chiefest. The chief. It's a good thing to be the chief. But if you're really a chief, you'll be the servant of all. Be great. There's nothing wrong with being great. See, sometimes see, people see the chiefest and the greatest as arrogant, obnoxious, stubborn, hard-headed. Well, I want to be careful about using names. Put your name in. And sometimes moms actually catch on to that, and they're like, you don't want my kid like that. So is the solution to be like, oh, no, we don't want to pursue success or greatness. Sometimes that is a reaction, even among Christian people. Don't pursue greatness. Don't pursue excellence, because we don't want to turn out like lords and chiefs. No, no. It's good to be great, and it's good to be chief, so long as it is to minister 
and to serve. This is one of the interesting things about government. You know, we have these lords, we have these rulers, we have these people who do exercise authorities, and some of them are actually called ministers. Why do they do that? Well, I think it's, I'm kind of curious. They do it because of this. They do it because of the teaching of Jesus. But you know what's really sad? Is that sometimes you look at some of these people who are called ministers. We don't use that term much in America, I don't think. But um, in other countries that you look at it and you're like, no, he isn't that. Why? And sometimes the people who actually use it and call themselves it are even the worst to be in it. It needs to be there. But what really needs to be there is the focus on being the minister and being the servant. If your focus is to be a minister and to be a servant, and the greatness comes, or the cross comes, may it be so. Because you see, when you're focused on ministering and serving, sometimes it will result in a greatness. The man who is diligent in his business shall stand before kings, shall not stand before mean or basement. Stand before kings. There is a principle of success and chiefness of the one who is faithful and serving. But don't forget Jesus, the greatest servant of all. Where did he go? Well, look how he gives himself as an example. Look at verse 45 with me again. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Not long after this, they arrive in Jerusalem. And when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he enters with the glory and the pomp of a king. And less than a week later, he is carried outside of that city, treated as a criminal, the most based and humiliated of all men. Yet he was successful because he was coming to give his life a ransom for many. In his death is our salvation. For three days later, he rose again. So let's think again about James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and their mom. Anybody know what were James and John before they followed Jesus? Anybody know? Yes, Elsie. Fishermen. You're right. In fact, when Jesus found them, he found them sitting with their father, Zebedee, mending the fishermen's nets. They were fixing the nets. And what did he say to them? Follow me. Peter was one of their neighbors. He says to Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me. Here Jesus is calling for them to again follow him. He's calling every one of us to follow him. Follow him. And what model did he set? To be a servant. Can you take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2 tells us about Jesus and tells us how we ought to live.
Moms, do you want to teach your children how to be successful, how to be great, how to be the chiefest? Teach them how to be a servant and how to minister. And how do you teach them how to serve and how to be a minister? Teach them to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, he was God. He was the creator of all things. He was the I am. He is the one by whom all things consist. He, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, for he was God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. Do you see? He was humble as a servant, obedient, obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross, through which God hath highly exalted him, lifted him up, glorified him, and given him a name. See, he was one who made himself of no reputation. Now he is given a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Follow Jesus. Let his mind be in you be in me. Let's follow Jesus. We don't have to pursue the greatness, pursue the chiefness. We make ourselves of no reputation. We humble ourselves as a servant. We don't have a, much of a society of servitude in most of the circles we move among. It still exists in a lot of places. But the servants are not heard nor seen. They just do their job. So was the way Jesus served no reputation. He was as a servant. He served people. And do you see the command, the whole point of all of this passage? There at the beginning of verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
Be a servant. Be a minister. Even if it is unto death. Your focus isn't on being the greatest, on being the chiefest. Our focus is on following Jesus in humility, looking to him and obeying him, following him. And sometimes that may lead us to martyrdom. Sometimes that may lead us to death. Now, just a clarification. God never tells us to seek and to pursue needless death and seek or pursue or romanticize martyrdom. Oh, no. But if God so calls us to give our lives for the witness of the truth and his truth, are we humble and ready to receive it by his grace? Move forward, serving the servant of all. What about James and John? Do you know the rest of their story? How about their mom? Do you know the rest of her story? We don't know a lot about her mom, but let's just imagine that she continued on being a mom. Some of you are moms of adult children, right? You're still a mom, aren't you? Now, you've got to be careful being a mom, but you're still a mom. You still love that little boy and girl who's all grown up and bigger than you. You still want to see their success. And if you're a godly mom, you want to see them be the servant of all. But I don't think any mom wants to see their son and daughter die. Within the decade of when Jesus spoke these words to James and John and their mother. Ten years did not even pass before it was spread abroad and the news came that King Herod stretched out his hand to vex the church of Jesus Christ. And the way he did this is that he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James. The one who came to Jesus on that day, after Jesus had told him he was going to Jerusalem to die, and said, can I sit on your right hand? Can I sit on your left hand in the kingdom, in your glory? He's the one Jesus said, serve. Be the servant of all. Be the minister to other people. Follow me. Remember Jesus said, can you drink of the cup I drink of? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I can be baptized with? I wonder if James and John at that time knew what Jesus was talking about. Have you ever thought of the picture and symbolism of the cup? Hmm, what is that? Well, Jesus in the garden the night before he was betrayed, what did he pray? He prayed, let this cup pass from me. May I not have to drink of this cup. What was that cup? 
who's the cup of death. That's the same cup Jesus is talking about here with uh, James and John. The baptism. What is it here? It's a baptism of death. I wonder if James and John understood that when they said, we can. I think they were thinking of a cup at some royal banquet table. Sometimes there are cups at royal banquet tables that we have the privilege of drinking from. And yet sometimes God gives us a cup filled with bitter death. Can we partake of the things we can with Jesus? The truth is we can. And James partook of the cup and the baptism of death and the cup of death. He was a martyr. He was killed as a leader of the church. May I say as a servant. See, in that time when Jesus said this to him, he was still focused on being at the right hand or the left hand of the king of kings. And then Jesus died. And then Jesus rose from the dead. And then James and John began to understand what real and true success is all about. And they moved forward in success. And in this day, when you read in Acts chapter 12 and verse 2 that Herod killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, you find James, the great James, the servant James. You find James successful. Now, I wonder if his mom saw it that way. She very likely was still alive to see it. Why? Is because James and John were, were relatively young. How do we know that? It's because John lived a really long time, which is kind of interesting. James is one of the first martyrs. And John is not the last, but is one of the last of the disciples to be martyred. He too was. But look, before we see him, let's bounce forward. John had some things to say about this greatness stuff, didn't he? Did you know that? John was there. He got this lecture from Jesus. I don't want to call it a lecture. We have a negative connotation with that. But let's just, it was a lecture. It was an instruction. It was truth. Turn with me to, the, to 3 John. We're going to come back to 3 John later this morning. But 3 John... John realizes that this problem of chiefest and greatness and preeminence is a problem in the church. And I wonder if when he was writing to the church, and now here writing to Gaius, that he didn't remember the words of Jesus when in 3 John verse 9 he writes, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, Received us not. Here you have the beloved disciple writing to the church, and there is one in the church who loves the preeminence. He's focused on the greatness, the chiefest, the preeminence. And I think he forgot all about the ministering and being a servant. 
For Diotrephes, he loves to have the preeminence. Verse 10, Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. There was a problem in the church, and the problem is sourced back to the root issue of one who loved to have the preeminence. John writes, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. There's a lot more we could say about that. But for sake of time, turn with me as we continue John's story to the last book of the New Testament, the Revelation. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, the Apocalypse. And look here with us as we see and learn more about John. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto who? What's it say? His servant, John. John got the message. And John identifies himself as a servant. He's not the preeminent one. He's not the chiefest one. He's not the greatest one. In fact, in the whole Gospel of John, John himself never refers to him by name, himself by name. No focus. He sees himself as a servant. Look over at verse 9, Revelation 1.9. He says, I, John, who also am your brother, oh, and look, and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and presence of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, why was he on the Isle of Patmos? He says, for the testimony. Did you see that? And the, word, the testimony of Jesus Christ and the word of God. He was on Patmos as an exile because he was so faithful at serving and proclaiming the word of God and testifying of Jesus that some people didn't like it, so they solved it by kicking him out of society and civilization and banishing him to an obscure island, Patmos. And it was there that he received this revelation. But you see, he's one who is a servant, and he is one who is a brother, and he is one who is a companion in tribulation. But did you see he also sees the proper perspective? He's also one in the kingdom and in the patience of Jesus Christ. Because you see, he's got the big picture. He's got the big picture. Again, success may lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. It may lead us through tribulations. It may lead us into exile. It may lead us to some Herod sword. But true success is not about those things. It's about us following Jesus with his mind in us serving others, and come what may. 
come what may. True success is not being great. True success is being a servant. So remember earlier, I told you all about the fact that it's not very often nowadays that moms talk about their kids being trash men or janitors. Talk about the CEOs, the president. We use the CEOs and the presidents as examples of success. We really need to reset our thinking. Because according to Jesus' definition of success, that trash man is the greatest. Hey, CEOs, just go without a trash man for a while. <laughs> that janitor, according to the logic, may I say teaching of Jesus, is the greatest. Because he is the servant. See, there's nothing wrong with the CEO and there's nothing wrong with the president. But do they have a servant's heart? Do they serve? Do we serve no matter where God calls us? Yes, we should pursue excellence by the strength and power of God, whatever that may be. And yet what that really is, is following Jesus. There is where the true success comes, and being a servant to so be a servant, then you'll be great. Be a servant, then you'll be great. So what can you learn from the sons of Zebedee? What can you learn from their mom on this Mother's Day? Serve. So start serving. You know, sometimes we think of the greatness, and just as a note here, you see the greatness here is shown and illustrated with the one who gave his life a ransom for many. We speak of the ones who died. There's a lot of people who say, oh, I would die for my mother, right? If I were to ask you to raise your hands, I hope you all would raise your hands. You would give your life to, for your mother, to save your mother. <sighs> Will you do the dishes for mom? <laughs> do you see it? How dare we boast that we would give our lives for something or someone when we can't even give of our strength and energy in the easiest of things in life. You see it. Now, in our house, the kids actually are supposed to do most of the dishes, so mom's not supposed to. But what are the other things? That's part of the lesson of learning. What are the other things that you can do to serve your mother? Now, we could have a whole long conversation about this, but you know what? I would have to guess about all of your family cultures. So, kids, i got an idea for you. This is really novel. Just ask. Isn't that a good idea? Just ask. I'm sure Mom would be happy to tell you of all the ways you can serve her. Well, moms, be careful. Kids, just close your ears for a minute. Now they all just open their ears up. Don't lord over. Because moms, too, set an example and teach servants' heart by being a servant themselves. Oftentimes, though, it's one who is, that's one of the traits and positive things of moms is that they're so faithful at serving. One of their weaknesses, perhaps, is sometimes that they're the ones who are serving so much that mm, they're not teaching their children to serve. So be alert to that. Yes, be a servant, but you got to teach your children to serve. Not by lording over them, 
not by chieftaining yourself over them. Lead them, shepherd them in serving. But kids, great. Go ask your mom how you can help her. And oh, don't come to her when she gives you an instruction saying, now mom, you're lording over me. None of you would do that. I'm 99% sure none of you would say that. But oh, how often children of all ages are tempted to say that in their heart and mind. So check. It's a heart issue. It's not just this outward thing. It's what's going on in the heart. Do we have a servant's heart? Could you take your wild songbooks and the very first song in this book is titled Servant's Heart. I'd like for us to sing this song. Do you know this one, Bethany? Could you play it for us here? Let's stand together and let's sing this song. It's not really a, a sing this song. Let us sing this prayer. Would you stand? Let's sing this prayer. Because here is what the real goal is. It's of having a servant's heart like Jesus. So let's pray together this song.
Bethany, could you play through that one more time? And I encourage you, brothers and sisters, pray that prayer now specifically to Jesus personally. Thank you for giving your life a ransom for us, for humbling yourself and becoming a servant for our redemption, our salvation. May we have your mind in us. May we be faithful, for you are the one who is faithful that calls us. And so we commit ourselves to you now. May we go forth knowing how to serve our moms, our families our church, all with the priority and focus of serving you. May you be glorified in all that we say, do, and may we be faithful and close to you that we may serve no matter the cost. May you be glorified, for you alone are worthy of glory, honor, and majesty. We are but your servants. And we bow to you this day as we praise your holy name. In the name of Jesus, Jehovah saves, we pray. Amen.